Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is the show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. Uh, We've got another great episode lined up for you today. This week's guest is a developer turned entrepreneur who quit his corporate job to bootstrap his startup, and he has never looked back. Today's guest is the founder of Send Owl, a platform that makes it easy to sell digital products online. He founded the company as a side project in 2011 while he was still working as a Ruby on Rails freelancer, and within two years was able to start working on it full time. He spent less than $50 to start this business and has bootstrapped it from day one. Today, SendOwl has four full-time employees and is profitable. He has a great story, and I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. So today, I'd like to welcome George Palmer. George, welcome to the show. Thank you, Omar. Very uh, humbled to be here. Uh, so George is joining us from London today, uh, my former hometown. Um, and even George was a little bit confused about where my accent was from. So that, that shows how after 10 years in the Seattle area, I'm, I'm really starting to lose it. Um, now let's, uh, let's, um, start by, uh, talking about what, what drives you. Um, yeah, I often ask my guests for a, uh, a success quote, or just to tell me what what gets them out of bed every morning. So, what is it for you? Is, is there a, a quote that resonates with you, or if not, then then what 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 gets you out of bed? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. That was quite an evil question to start with. I mean, <laughs> I do I do have a quote, um, but what gets me out of bed in the morning is a great question. Um, I'll tell you, what, I'll, I'll answer those separately. So, my my one of my favorite quotes of all time is by Woody Allen and it's success is 80% showing up. And I love that because, um, with the sort of development of the internet, you know, loads of people talk about how the rules of business have changed and you, you don't need to charge people. You just need to get really, really big like Facebook and, and then you'll be worth loads of money. You don't have to worry. And, um, I, you know, that, that's true. You know, there are some companies that will do that, but, you know, there's very few companies that will reach that point. And so um, I really love this quote because it just reminds me that actually, you know, the fundamental rules of business haven't changed. You can either provide a service or you can buy something for $1 and sell it for $2, you know, make a markup on that. And that's basically it. You know, that's still, you know, that's been the same for thousands of years. So I, I love this quote. It just sort of reminds me that actually, if you just um, turn up and keep doing what you're doing and keep your customers happy and keep going, then you're doing a good job. So, um, so that that's really my my success quote. Um, to answer your other question, what gets me up in the morning? You know, for the first few years on Send Out, I, I was doing the customer support because it was just me, and the biggest satisfaction I got in these first few years was when we got a new customer and they were just so happy at finding Sendow. They're like, oh, I used to use a competitor and it was just so slow and it was slow and reliable. Or I just really love your design. Or 
I had one guy in the right within a few months of starting, and he said, um, "Absolutely love Stendhal. Tell me your address. I'm going to mail you a crate of beer." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> I was like, no, that's honestly, it's fine. You know, just pay your monthly fee. It's <laughs> <Right>. happy. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, I really want to send you the beer. And he's like, you know, I know what it's like when you start up and, you know, it's hard going and, you know, you haven't got much money and there's a small team. And I was like, well, firstly, it's just me at this point. And um, secondly, we're in the UK, so you probably couldn't mail us the beer anyway. <laughs> and so you PayPal me $50, like straight back. Um, so I promised myself when I got the first employees, I would use that money <laughs> and take us out. So <laughs> when we got, when we got person number two in the door, that's exactly what we did. Now, you, you know, your background is very similar, I think, to, uh, a lot of people who'd be listening to this show. Um, you, you started your career as a software developer, um, and I know you were at IBM for, for a couple of years, um, and you spent some time doing Java development and then, and then eventually switched over to, to becoming a Rails developer. Um, now I think a lot of people, you know, maybe, maybe are in that situation where they're either in a, a full-time job or, or maybe they're freelancing and, and kind of have a project on, you know, there's a side project, maybe they're trying to get off the ground, um, how, how did Send Owl come about for you? Because this was something that you started as well when you were still freelancing, right? Yeah, that's right. So I was at a client site and they were asking about um, digital delivery. And I sort of, I was, I was like, oh, I'll, I'll look that before you do a bit of research. And I was just appalled with the quality of solutions that were out there. And I was like, you know what? I could do better than this. Um. So um, that that was how I got to it. And then I sort of um, used that one day a week I had and used evenings and weekends and wherever I could find time and to get the sort of first version out. I took about three or four months, um, outsourced the design, just kept it as minimal as possible. And the first version of Sendow, well, it wasn't even called Sendow then, it was called Digital Delivery App, which is a crap name. And then <laughs> um, iPhones came out. So then this concept of an app really confused people because I was like, wait, it's not on the iPhone. <laughs> and I was like, oh God. Right. <laughs> so um yeah, and back then, I mean there wasn't even a shopping cart. All you could do is have a buy button on your site, someone clicked it, and then they got a file delivered to them automatically and they clicked it. So it was really minimal. So what were you uh, using for the the payment back end at the time? Because I, I assume it wasn't something like Stripe or anything like that around at the time, right? Yeah, so Stripe wasn't around, so it was just PayPal back then. Um, and we did it subsequently in the next year. We added a few that we've really sort of since removed. So there's one called SagePay, which was a UK one. So one called Authorize.net, which we still do support, which is a sort of – and they're more like um, they let you plug your existing merchant account into the into the internet. Um, so it's sort of like half of Stripe, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah, so Stripe wasn't around. So it was just PayPal, and that's what everyone was using to sell in those days. So that was fine. Um, and then I, yeah, I got this, I got this first version out on the internet and then I was like, crap, how am I going to get any customers? <laughs> okay. So you've got the product out there and, and did you, had you given any thought to marketing? So I had all been focused on the product, but what I did do is when I originally came up with the idea, I put a hundred pounds into AdWords and I created a landing page for this new app called digital delivery app. 
and you could click the sign up button um but it didn't actually there was nothing there all it did was record the sign up and say oh leave your email here and we'll get in touch when we're live and what that enabled me to do was to test the click-through rate and i think it was about one and a half percent so i knew from this pretty crappy design that i'd knocked up on a free website that one and a half percent of people were actually interested in the service, like interested enough to try it out. One and, and a half percent of people who arrived at the landing page, not yes, one yeah, yeah okay. arrived at the landing page and clicked that. So it was just like you know, click here to sign up, and it, it said like nine from nine dollars a month. So I knew they were willing to pay when they clicked that button. Okay, and it was just enough for me to validate that I was going to spend three or four months building this. Um. Because, you know, you could be onto a business idea and there's no, unless you test the demands, you know, you're, you're really stabbing in the dark. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was very convinced there was demands because there was four or five existing players out there. So it wasn't, that wasn't a major issue, but I still wanted to test it myself. Did that put you off knowing that there were already four or five players in the market with probably customers and and revenue and and you were just starting out did did that put you off at any point it didn't because um you know i'm a real fan of of good design and i'll talk about good design a little bit later because what i consider good design is quite different from what other people consider good design you know people get caught up in the aesthetics and how it looks whereas i think the function is much more important um so you know i could see these sites and I was like, they're not doing a good job, you know, and I mean, I won't name drop, but one of them was using a flash interface and you can't get flash on your iPhone, you know, so it's just like, they're just so old school in their thinking and the design and the where the copy's written. And, you know, it, it did, it, on one hand, it's concerning that it's competitors. On the other hand, it's great because, you know, it's a proven market. Um, what you obviously don't know is you don't know their margins, you don't know how fast they're growing, you don't know how many customers they've got. Um, so it, it, it didn't really uh, concern me that much, to be honest with you, because I thought I could do a better job. And I didn't really think about it that much either. I, I was just, you know, at that point, just trying out ideas, trying to find something that could get a little bit of traction and then sort of devote myself to that. Okay, so the product is launched. Um you don't have any customers, so you now start thinking about how, how to. How did you get your first customer? How did I get my first customer? So, um, yes, yeah, so I kind of launched, and you know, you sort of when you launch one of these, and I'm sure this will sound familiar to, to many of your listeners, is you sort of press the button. You're there. You're live. You're like, oh my god, I've worked all the hours that God can send the last two hours, and um, nothing tumbleweed what's going on <laughs> you know, i build it now come right you know that's what happens so um kind of a week went by and i had like literally a few visitors probably one of which was my mum one of which would have been my brother <laughs> you know um i was like okay right you know how hard can it be to find the first few customers so what i came up with is i searched twitter for uh, my competitors every morning and i looked for people that had moaned about them during the last 24 hours. And then I'll tweet them and say, hey, look, we're, we're new, but um, uh, you might like to check us out. And I did this every day for a, a month. And I think I probably, I was probably averaging one or two tweets a day. And at the end of that month, I got 
two customers. And one was paying on the $9 plan and one was on the $15 plan. And the way that it works is you get the first 30 days free. So the, sort of the next month, I got my first $9 come through via PayPal. And nice. I remember that they really fond it because I was like, okay, this is a goer. You know, this somebody's paid for that. One person has paid for that. All I need to do now is find a load more people that are willing to pay for it. I, I think there's something that I think if anybody hasn't been through this experience, um, it's it's maybe hard to explain, but there's something amazing about when you create something yourself and somebody that you've never met before comes yeah. and pays you money for it. Even if it's $9, it feels like so much more, doesn't it? It's a beautiful feeling. It really is. Um, yeah, it's, it's really hard to describe, but it's like all that effort that I've done all that time that I've put in, all that thought, all that stress is somebody somewhere was like, you know what, this is the best solution for me right now. I'm going to get up there. I'm going to get behind these guys and sign up and, you know, run my business through them. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a great feeling. And um, actually, funnily enough, I still have this. I have a spreadsheet every month where I update the, um, you know, our income and our outgoing and our profit. Um, I mean, we do have now a, an accountancy SaaS that we use, but you get it gets confused with loads of other things like VAT and tax and all that crap. So I, I love this little spreadsheet because it has a little graph. And um, the first month, you know, I'll have to get up and have a look. But I think the outgoings was $19.95 for a, a Linode for our server. And I think we'd pay like $20 for an SSL certificate. And that was it. Um, and then the second month we had this nine, this 15 in, so we're almost profitable. We're like, we lost like $5. And then by the third month we we're actually profitable. And I was like, Oh my God, you know, I'm, I'm more successful than Facebook right now. <laughs> you know, I'm more <laughs> profitable <laughs> and it's only month three. So, so, um, so was that it? Was that, those were your only costs at the time, the, the hosting for the app and the SSL certificate? Yeah. I mean, I can actually get it up and have a quick look if you want uh, to check out the exact numbers, but it, it, it was very roughly that. I always sort of say it and the um, now I give this talk. But yeah, I mean, it's you don't really need anything to, to launch. Oh, hang on, I had 12 cents in in Amazon costs as well. So um, yeah, there, yeah. So and that was for what, some S3 type hosting or something? Yeah, it must have been the S3 hosting. And that had jumped to a whopping $1.91 by month two. So, oh. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that was it. It was just the SSL certificate, the hosting. And, um, you know, if I look now, we've got like 50 expenses getting out each month. You know, we've got a load more things. But yeah, to, to launch, you really only need a bit of service space. And if you actually run behind the Cloudflare free plan, you can get the SSL certificate for free now. So you don't even need to worry about that. So yeah, it's, it's even cheaper nowadays. Okay. So um, you've got those two customers and you, you mentioned earlier that, you okay, I just need to go and find more of these people. Um, so what, what did you do? Did you keep keep sort of chipping away at, at Twitter every day or um, did you start looking at other sort of channels to, to find customers? What, what were you doing next? Yeah, so the, the downside of the Twitter was uh, initially did it manually. And if you typed like one of your competitors' names in, then it also brought up all the URLs um, 
the people that post on Twitter that linked them. So you'd have to sift through a lot of tweets to try and find one where somebody wasn't actually trying to sell something. And if you search on Twitter for people selling stuff, there's just, you know, robots pumping out spam 24 seven. So it was really difficult to find anyone. So I wrote a sort of script that just about did it. And it, it pulled out a few, you know, it pulled out perhaps a short list of 10 or 15 each day. And I could just check those quickly. Um, and that went well for about a month. And then I can't remember what happened, to be honest. Like Twitter changed their API or, or something happened. And I just couldn't find them. I couldn't reliably get to these people without spending an hour or so each day. Uh, and at that point, you know, I was, I was up to a few customers and they were all banging in support requests for extra features, all of which I knew we desperately needed. So I kind of got caught in the what I call a feature rat race, which is where you're, if you're entering an established marketplace, you're sort of trying to catch up with what your competitors offer in terms of features. Um, Especially in e-commerce software, the way that people buy e-commerce software is you can have the best support, you can have the best design, they can love your brand, they can love your company, but if you haven't got the one feature that they need, then they're not going to use you because you're no use to them. So, um, so we kind of got caught up in this feature rat race for a while, but we were actually growing. And we we're growing thanks to really that sort of first two customers. Um, I don't really know how we got from two to 10, but once we got to 10, we, oh, I do, I mean, there were a few things we did. We went around and posted on a few blogs of people reviewing the services, you know, reviewing digital delivery services and posting the comments saying, hey, I've just launched this new thing. And, um, uh, yeah, I don't really know after that. I mean, we sort of got to about 10 customers and one of them was a guy in Sweden and he just told, he must have told everybody he met for a month. <laughs> we've got about <laughs> another five or 10 customers from this guy. All from uh, Sweden? Oh, like all his pocket in, in Sweden. And then next <laughs> month we got a guy in South Korea who did the same, sort of pocket in South Korea as well. Um, wow. So we had these sort of guys who were obviously bringing us a few customers in. And then we happened, this guy called Mark Morris found us, who's a British guy, and he runs a um, computer game company called Introversion. And he just emailed in and said, hey, um, I'm just about to launch a computer game, just wanted to make sure that your site would be able to handle the load. And I was like, yeah, fine, no problems. You know, you, you don't really say no in those cases. And at that point, we were running on a $120 Linode, which I think might have been a one gigabyte slice. And um, what I didn't really question Mark about, and to be fair, he didn't know himself, was, was how big this launch was going to be. And I can actually talk about the numbers um, because Mark's very publicly talked about them. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to. But they took about $18 million <laughs> in the sort of month and the a few months after of this launch. Wow. They just got a hell of a lot of publicity. And it's a great, I mean, I'm not a computer gamer, but the premise behind the game is you sort of build a prison and manage it. Uh, It's a bit like theme park for prisons. And the videos, they just did a really funny video. It was very British dry in in its uh, humor. And um, it obviously just captures people's imagination. Um, And this thing basically pretty much brought it didn't quite go offline but it brought our server very close to a standstill and they were running around panicking because 
they had sort of created, I don't know, a couple of thousand license keys and they needed more like tens and tens of thousands. And we had a, um, a performance bug in our code where um, to be technical, I missed an index on a database lookup. So every time it allocated a license key, it took longer and longer on each request. And of course, they were throwing hundreds and thousands of customers as every sort of hour. And wow. um, so this was like, you know, this was a bit of a nightmare for a few days. And I was at that time still working for other people. So I was like trying to jiggle the two. Um, but it really turned into a, a great win for us because Mark then on the success of Prison Architect went around and talked at a lot of conferences about indie game creation. And he just excessively plugged us at every conference he went to. You know, how do you sell it? Well, you go to, you go and set up Sendal and, um, you know, use their buttons and you have it on your website. All right. So and, this is, I want to kind of talk about this a little bit because um, first, first of all, just this experience of, I, I'm assuming this was a sort of a, down, a software download for a PC or something, a PC game. Mm-hmm. Right. So, okay. So, um, in many ways, this is the, the big, it's, it's the biggest nightmare and probably the best outcome at the same time for any new startup that you have somebody who will suddenly drive so much traffic to your site and you suddenly, um, you know, it's like a day and night from where you've been seeing like one or two visitors trickling into your site. Now you're kind of, you know, you know, you're mainstream. But the nightmare is that suddenly you realize, <laughs> oh my God, my product's not ready. You know, I, I haven't thought about scaling. I haven't dealt with all of these yeah. issues and I'm finding all these performance bugs and, and everything yeah. else. So, you know, that's, that's kind of a, a, a really difficult place to be. But I'm, I'm intrigued where you said, you know, it didn't sound like, you know, he had a great experience with all the the problems that you guys still had to deal with. And just because you hadn't been prepared for it and you were so early in the stage of your business. But then why 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 did he feel happy enough to go out and tell everybody about you guys? What what was it that you did to um turn him into a fan? Yeah, that's a great question. Um and I'll I'll have to ask him myself when I speak to him next but from memory he he certainly emailed me after saying why they'd gone with this Um, so we had some good license keys um, at the time which wasn't that common so if you sell a bit of software as well as delivering the file each time it will deliver a different license key so you know the first customer will get license one the next customer gets license two and then when you install the software they can call from our server to from their server to our server to check the license is valid. So there wasn't a lot of people offering that. And the people that were were either very enterprising and extremely expensive, or they were one of our um, more established competitors that take took like five or six days to reply to support requests and had really high pricing and really poor performance. So I think Mark could sort of see that, you know, could see the future and he could see that our a modern design and a great support and stuff was um, something that he wanted to work with. And, you know, I think he thought it was a lot bigger than we were. We certainly in the early days talked about we, and in reality it was just me behind the scenes. Although I guess you could have argued, you know, I was using someone for the design, so maybe it was a we. But but I uh, think, but at that point, it really, apart from the, the designer, it was you, and you were still working as a freelancer. 
So yeah. you still had client commitments. You only had about a day a week to work on this. You had mm-hmm. the features that you were still being asked to build into the product, mm-hmm. but now you've got to deal with support and suddenly you're hit with scaling challenges yeah. <laughs> much earlier on than you expected. Happy days, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I know you don't disclose revenue, but the business is profitable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been profitable from day one, as we talked about earlier. Month two, yeah. Month, Month two. two. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you've, you've bootstrapped this all the way. Um, did you ever consider taking any VC money? I know you've had uh, a number of offers uh, along the way. Did you ever think about that? Yeah, I mean, we've had, you know, we had a few offers in the first few years. And then the last 18 months, we've had a lot of people get in touch. If you take the VC money, right, you've got to go big or go bust. They want you to spend that in two years and see that you're going to either get a return or, or forget it. And yeah. for them, they, you know, they're leveraging their risk. They've got 20 companies like you. So as long as one goes huge, they're happy. Whereas for you, you can spend five years of your life absolutely busting your gut and you walk out with nothing. And the thought of that for me is just, no thanks. I'm not interested in that at all. You know, I'm very low risk, as as I said. But um, yeah, going back to that door analogy, I'd I'd take the the decent wage and the, the cushy lifestyle and, you know, and build from there. Yeah, I mean, you, you say that, but um, I think in many, in some ways, you did take the other door. I mean, you you did leave the the comfort of uh, you know a corporate job and uh, a predictable salary to go and build your own business. But you've done it in a way where you have um, managed the risks and and built the business um, on your terms which yeah. I think has been a, a really smart thing to do. Tell, tell me a little bit about what a typical day looks like for you. Um, you know, what time do you wake up? What do you do in a typical day or a week? How do you, how do you plan your time? There you go. Yes. That, was, that was like a five-part question there. So. <laughs> yeah, well, I answer all the parts. <laughs> yes, there's <laughs> a test. Probably not because I've forgotten. <laughs> um, so my typical day, so my alarm will go up at 7 Um I'm pretty good at getting straight out of bed. So I'll, I'll get out of bread, I'll grab some porridge and I'll be at my desk by 10 past, quarter past. And um, I will then work till about 11.30. And during that time, you know, I, I'm i very efficient with my email, but I don't like to spend time there in the, in the mornings. Um, that's my most productive time of day. So I kind of use that to my advantage. So I'll jump straight in Um you know, if you rewind six months ago, I was 90% of my job was still coding. Now it's a very small part. So I'll be straight into the code and working on whatever new feature um, was working on. And then at 9 or 8.30, whenever Andrew starts, he comes on, we have a little catch up. Um, and that's just a couple of minutes stand up to discuss status of where we both are at. Um, so Andrew's a developer. And um, then, then you know, I'll, I'll work straight through to like 11.30. I will also check in that time the support queue for anything urgent because um, Paul, who's in America, comes online at 2. Um, but really, that's my productive time. So, you know, I aim to be head down and, and getting stuff done then. 
uh, at that point I head off to the gym. So I'm really into my fitness and, um, I'll talk about this a little bit more if we've got time, but, um, you know, I find exercise makes me so much more productive. I find doing it in the middle of the day breaks my day. So when I come back, I've had, so I'll come back, I'll get back here about one thirty. I'll have a shower and some lunch. It'll be about two till I get going again. So about two and a half hours off in the middle of the day. Uh, and that just works extremely well for me because when I come back, I'm refreshed. Whereas if I sit here for like eight, nine hours, I just find myself slumping and my energy levels dropping. It just doesn't work that well for me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll come back. I'll talk to Paul. We'll probably do a bit of work on a couple of tricky support issues that we might have going on. Um, I'll, I'll clear my emails. I use that, especially the first hour after lunch. I, I tend to like to get all the odds and ends out of the way. And then I'll, I'll get back on it about three working on whatever I'm working on um, to when I finish, which would be any time between five and seven, you know, six is probably an average. Um, I'm a big believer in like, if you're in a great state of flow, then you don't want to break it unnecessarily. Um, But equally like, again, this is, and this is long-term thinking, like you can only do long hours for a short amount of time and it catches up with you. So, um, yeah, I don't really want to be working that much more than eight hours a day. Um, so I, I try and focus on, you know, high value creating tasks rather than spending time in the office, which is utter bullshit. Um, and I'm the same with all the people who employ it. It's the focus on output. It's not on the number of hours that you work. So, um, yeah, so that'll get me to there. And then I'll um, either eat or be out for drinks with friends or um Sometimes after gymnastics class, it really depends what I've got going on in the evenings. Okay, cool. And then, and then I'll go to bed, and I always, always get eight hours of sleep a night. I don't always, always, but you know, that's my target. And the only time I really don't get that is if I've been out and had a big night out. So, yeah, yeah. No, I really like the way that you have built this business, um, <clears throat> found and hired people who. Um, are attracted to the kind of culture that you want to create um, and it's sort of working well for them as well in, in terms of letting them live the kind of lives that they want to live. Um, and, and I think that it's, um, I, I think too often we kind of get caught up and especially over here in the US and sort of the sort of the Silicon Valley kind of culture of of working obsessively, uh, you know, all all the hours that you have and doing nothing else. And the interesting thing is that the more entrepreneurs I talk to, I'm finding more and more people like you, mm-hmm. uh, more people who are are willing to talk about this um, and who are creating more of a balance who are looking at businesses for the long term and not just for, you know, something that they can do, for, you know, work on a hundred hours a week for the next year and then have a quick exit. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're building real businesses and, and they're doing it in a way where they're having fulfilling lives as well. And that's, uh, that really is the best of both worlds, I think. So yeah, uh, hats it, off it, to you. <laughs> thanks man. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I just built, you know, the company that, I wanted to work at and that's the great thing about starting your own company you know you decide on the culture but I think something you just said that 
really hits the rear of it. You know how this massive financial crisis the last sort of seven, eight years, whatever it's been. And, you know, I'm just like, if everybody was a bootstrap company, there'd be such a tight web. You know, they've been on this crap pissing about with LIBOR rates and fixing exchange rates and selling subprime mortgages to try and boost the profits. They've been on that crap would be needed. And you just got a strong, I mean, you just, there's no concept of financial. We didn't notice the recession. And when Greece had problems, we had a few guys who were like, well, can't actually pay my monthly fee this month because my credit card won't let me buy anything. I was like, oh, it's fine. Have it free for a month. It doesn't really, you know, I'm more than happy to extend that gratitude to you for, um, you know, something you can't control. And, um, you know, we're not going to come chasing you for $9 when your country's about to go bust. So, um, yeah, I, I just think if there's a, a web, you know, just imagine if most companies were like this, then you sort of, you don't get this ridiculous economic system that we seem to have right now. So um, we're probably getting a bit philosophical right now, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how I view it. Yeah. All right. Uh, it's time for the lightning round. So I'm going to okay. ask you a series of questions and I'd like you to answer them as quickly as you can. You're going to use the same questions that you prepped me with, right? You're not going to <laughs> no, no, no. change these, these around. No, no, no. <laughs> They're completely different questions. No, <laughs> All right. Uh, what's the best piece of business advice that you ever received? Um, yeah, this is a tricky one, but I'm going to go for um, D- DHH, as he's known in Ruby on Rails circles. He's the guy who created Rails. And he built this infamous slide and it said, step one, great idea. Step three, profit. What's step two? Was that? Everyone wants to know what step two is, right? Step two <laughs> is to charge. And I absolutely love that. So step one, great idea. Step two, charge. Step three, profit. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? I've got a few. Um, The 4-Hour Workweek, 37 Signals Getting Real, and Paul Graham's got a series of great essays online, but I think he's made that into a book, so I think I can claim those. You know, If I'm starting a software business, there would be the three books that I'm reading. But I also want to throw a few others in there. Um, Mark Sisson's Primal Blueprint is about exercising and eating uh, the way that humans evolved. And that's a lot of what I base my fitness and diet around. But that works extremely well for me. Uh, so that's a little bonus one I'll, I'll throw in there as well. I have to check that one out. Um, okay, what's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur? Uh, I'm going to have curiosity. Uh, I love people that just say the question stuff. Why is that like that? Why, why is that? That's bullshit. That's a really bad way of doing it. Let's do it better. I can do better than that. And I, I think that's a, a great attribute to have as an entrepreneur. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? <laughs> It would be a toss-up between Evernote, although I use a different client. I use something called um, Alternote because the Evernote client's part of bullshit, in my opinion. Um, So I use that as a dumping ground to write notes on stuff that will be useful later in life. So, for example, our process for hiring people is in there. Um, But that's really more just like a dumping ground. I think in terms of productivity, um, people get hung up on these tools that like track the amount of time that you're spending on Facebook and randomly surfing the web. I, I personally use that as a sign. If I'm spending a lot of time on Facebook or surfing the web, 
then I need a break and I'm tired. So go have a power nap or go and take a 20-minute stroll in the park or something. Uh, I don't think you need a tool to measure that. I think you should be using that as a sign that you've actually pushed too hard. You need to back up a bit and give yourself a break. So um, my favorite productivity tool or habit is to uh, have a break. Love it. Um, what's uh, a new business idea or a crazy idea that you have in your head that you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? Um, I have two ideas which I'm actively considering, so I won't talk about those. But if I was starting another SaaS right now, I'd probably look at help ticket software. So we evaluated them all. And we went with Help Scout. Well, that was the best of the bunch. But to be honest with you, I've got a lot of problems with that. I find they're all bloated. I find they're all extremely mark- well marketed, but the product doesn't deliver. Uh, I think you're doing a much better job of that. So, um, yeah, if I was looking right now, it's a crowded market space. Don't get me wrong. It'd be hard to get into. But I think you could do a really good product there compared to what I've seen. What's uh, an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Um, A couple of summers ago, uh, myself and a friend built a traditional Italian pizza oven in my back garden. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I have a traditional Pompeii-style pizza oven, uh, which is stone, uh, like a stone dome where you cook the pizzas on and you can uh, stick the wood in and burn it and it takes a couple of hours to get up to temperature. A little bit like you'll see in the restaurants, but the restaurants ones are mass produced. This is a individually um, built and designed one in my back garden. Um, it's got a sort of styling that matches the traditional London houses. So, um, yeah, piece of party at mine, I guess, is the. Uh, <laughs> so wait, so wait, you built a stone dome oven in your backyard? Uh, yeah, that's correct. Yes, there's a there's a, the oven part, and then it's in what they call a casing, which basically imagine the dome gets up to like 700 800 degrees you don't want to touch that so it's actually um if you go to my twitter profile and look at the background picture um i'm giorgio underscore 1999 on twitter you'll see a picture of it perhaps will picture will speak a thousand words rather than me trying to describe it all right so i will definitely look that up And, and finally what is one of your most important passions outside of your work uh i think it's really fitness i think i touched on this earlier you know i i love it from a productivity point of view it really helps me focus i have a lot more energy but i also i love the parallels that there are to business in general so the great thing about sport is it's really hard to cheat and get away with it i mean i know there's drug problems but put those two aside for a moment if you look at the guys that are um performing the best in say a 100 meter sprint or a marathon you can learn a lot of lessons from them in terms of what are they doing in terms of personal habits, you know, they are extremely disciplined in their timings. They're extremely, um, they spend a lot of time worrying about rest and recovery. Uh, if you look at Team Sky, which is the British cycling team and has dominated the Tour de France the last few years, um, they've got a great philosophy called the accumulation of marginal gains. Uh, and that is at elite level sport or elite level business or anything. It's really hard to sort of get 10% on your competitors. But what if you could look at every area of your competitor and just nick 1% on them? What if your design could be 1% better? What if your support could be 1% better? What if your product could have 1% better functionality? And then you can add up all those 1% and you suddenly find yourself 10% ahead. 
So, I, I mean, I'm really, really into it. I spent a lot of time thinking about it and reading about it. But um, I think it's one of the few areas where it's very difficult to cheat and get away with it. Um, in business, I mean, it's, it's not the same concept of cheating, but, you know, you might have somebody that's done extremely well, but he was given a million dollars to start up by his dad. And, you know, it's pretty easy to make a million dollars once you've got a million dollars in the bank. So, um, right. Yeah, so in terms of like performance and personal productivity, which I'm kind of obsessed with, then uh, I just love the parallels to the sporting world. I find I get a lot out of that. Wonderful. George, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure ch- chatting with you. Um, I, I think we could just easily keep going for uh, <laughs> much longer. So, um, but I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Um, now, if, if folks want to find out, um, more about send owl they can go to sendowl.com and if they want to get in touch with you what's the best way for them to do that well thanks to posters i don't have a website anymore <laughs> so <laughs> um uh, i think twitter tends to be the way that i interact with people these days um so if you just go to um twist.com slash georgio so that's g-e-o-r-g-i-o and then an underscore 1999 so one and then three nines uh then that's me on twitter and you can uh, send me a message on that and i'll reply we're, we'll add that to the your, your twitter handle to the show notes so people can just grab it from there too um george thanks again um and uh it is what almost nine o'clock no almost no, eight, eight o'clock seven seven twenty it's okay don't I'm worry lo- <laughs> i'm losing it Okay. <laughs> Great. Uh, th- uh, thanks again. I wish you all the best and uh, I look forward to finding out what you get up to with Sendow in, in the next year. Thanks, Sarah. It's been an absolute pleasure. Cheers.